Hi friends, welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. You know, some people seem to suggest that to be deeply spiritual, particularly even as Christians, that we exist, if you like, up there somewhere on some sort of spiritual mountaintop. God will be continually blessing you, some say, and you will not have any problems in life. Or at least if you have problems, they'll not be the same problems as other people have. And the question I want us to consider today, well, I want to ask, is that perspective true? And I want to do that by looking in the next chapter in the life of David. And it's literally a new chapter in the book of Genesis as well. For the next couple of days, we're going to be going through Genesis chapter 35 and looking at what it can teach us about the ups and downs of life. So welcome, welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Now, the project is to work through the whole Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, over how many years that that might take. And uh, I hope you're enjoying being on this journey with us. If you've just dropped in today, maybe because you just searched for some resource or teaching in Genesis chapter 35, why not consider joining us on the complete journey? You can go right back to episode one and play catch up for a while and then sit in with us as we work our way through the whole word of God from start to finish. Season one is Genesis, season two, which will come next rather than have a sit in the Old Testament year after year, will be beginning our the first book of the New Testament, which is of course Matthew. Now, this is a free resource made freely available to anybody who want, wants it. And there is also a transcript available, so you can have some notes about what I've said in each and every talk, and that's available in the episode notes section of any audio version of this podcast. If you happen to be listening or watching rather a video version on Facebook or YouTube, then there should be a link through to the audio version, which is hosted on buzzsprout.com. You'll find there not only the transcript of what I've said, but also links to all the different ways you can link with the ministry, as well as support it and partner with it, if you wish. But anyway, that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you find it beneficial, and I'll uh, we'll drop straight back. It will drop straight into the text itself and pick up on the teaching in Genesis 35, and I'll see you at the end. Bye for now. You know, there are plenty of people out there, podcasts included, that seem to suggest that if you're a Christian, if you're a spiritual Christian, then generally things in life will go will go okay for you. They kind of imply that God will be continually blessing you and that if you do have problems, then they're not the same type of everyday problems that other people have. So the question is, is that true? That's what we're going to look at today in this next episode covering the life of Jacob. We've been tracing together, journeying together through the book of Genesis for quite a while now, and we've actually spent the last, quite a few weeks now looking at the life of Jacob. We've seen him be born and grown up in interesting circumstances. We've seen him deceive his father and his brother. And we've seen him literally flee the land because of his behaviour and spend 20 years 
in exile away from his homeland. And then after 20 years, we saw him come back with his family, his new family in tow, and we see him reconcile with his brother. So what we're going to look at in this next episode is what has happened after he's now got back to the land and he's settled here and he's been here for quite a while. This is Genesis chapter 5 and there are things that are going to happen to Jacob and are the sort of things that I believe happens to anyone and everyone. So it's a good illustration of what the ups and downs of life can be like and what we ourselves, even as Christian believers, might have to well, look forward to is probably not the, the, the correct phrase, but what we may have to consider and address in our lives also. So let's begin with chapter 35, verse 1. Reading from the text, it tells us, Then God said to Jacob, Go to Bethel and settle there, and build an altar there to God, the God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. Okay, let's pause for a second just there. I said this a minute ago, but I just want to remind you that Jacob has now come back to the land. It's important to know this because as a matter of fact, the whole chapter is going to be a bit of a travelogue of his journeys after this point where God calls him to up and move. He's going to go from one place to another, but he's starting out near Shechem here in verse 1, and it says that God calls him and tells him, to go to Bethel, to go back to Bethel, in fact. Now, he has been back in the land for, Bible experts believe, about 10 years at this point, and he was supposed to go back to Bethel before this. What's really interesting to me is that Shechem is only about 15 miles from Bethel. So in all the time he's been there, he could have easily gone back to Bethel, but he stayed camped in the area of Shechem, only about 15 miles away from where Bethel was. So the Lord here is seen to come to him and say, I want you to return to Bethel, and I want you to go back there and build an altar there to me, because I am the God who appeared to you there when you fled from Esau, your brother. I appeared to you, encouraged you, and renewed the promise that I'd given your parents and grandparents. Bethel was, in fact, the last place that he had met with God intimately, and that event occurred uh, when he needed encouragement while he was fleeing from the land, and it is this point that God appears to him and calls him back there. So the Lord appears to him and says, get out of Shechem and go back to Bethel, pack up and travel, as it turns out, just 15 miles down the road. The text continues and tells us, So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Get rid of the foreign gods you have with you, and purify yourselves, and change your clothes. Then come, let us go to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. That's a bit of a surprise, really, this. Have you, are you picked up on what I've picked up and are a bit shocked and surprised about it? What's surprising to me is this story is that Jacob's retinue have still got idols. They weren't supposed to have idols. If you remember a few chapters back when they left the land, Rachel had in fact taken her father's idols and that had been dealt with. So maybe this is where some had been held on from or others in the family retinue had held on to some. 
Maybe other people had brought different idols with them as well and were holding on to those things. Notice it also says idols in the plural. At any rate, they're going back now to meet with the Lord and God tells them, points out the fact that they've got to get rid of these items, that the items which would probably have been linked to the worship of other false gods. So they're going to go back and they're going to worship. So they need to get rid of all the stuff in their lives that God doesn't approve of. There's a massive metaphor there, isn't there, friends? The test suggests that they do appear to lay these things aside to give them up. So the story so far is really simple. God has said to Jacob, you and your entire family are to go to Bethel. You're to build an altar to the Lord there, but get rid of all the idols that you have with you before you come before the altar to worship the Lord. When we're going to have fellowship too for us, we too have to get rid of all the things that we need to get rid of before we have fellowship with the Lord, don't we? Now, when reading this text, we probably think of the thing that pops into our minds is idols as little statues. But we don't think of those things. These are little statues that people would have bowed down to. And I'm sure of us, most of us, I hope most of us anyway, don't have those sorts of things in our houses. Maybe we don't think we're idolaters. But there are several passages in the New Testament that seems to indicate that we are, or at least could be. The book of Hebrews says we are to run the race that is set before us, but laying aside sin and the weight that so easily besets us. There's a passage in Colossians which talks about putting away covetousness, but also tells us that covetousness is a type of idolatry. Then there's a little first book of John which closes with a reminder for Christian believers to get rid of any idols in, your, in their lives. So apparently it's possible for believers, yes even Christian believers, to have idols in some sense in our lives. And that is clearly referred to in the New Testament as well. Now these idols that we have are maybe not little carved statues, but nonetheless they're things that we put before the Lord. They're things that we spend our time, our energy, maybe our money on in the place of God. This passage tells us that if we're going to worship the Lord truly, meaningfully, in spirit and truth, then we too have to get rid of any idols in our lives. Although otherwise, we're simply not going to grow spiritually. That's the problem, you see. This text is clearly showing, and it's developed greatly in the New Testament, the principle that you can't serve God and mammon. If you're going to serve the Lord, then everyone has to make priority choices. God is demanding our full attention here. Someone I remember preaching years ago, can't remember the exact details, but the image that it planted in my mind is very vivid. They described worshipping the Lord as a bit like going up in an air balloon. Now, I've never done that before. I'd love to do that, in fact. But from what I understand, in order for the balloon to rise, you have to throw out some weight, get rid of some weight out of the basket to enable it to rise up. The idea being is the more you toss out, the higher the balloon will go. And that, my friends, I believe is a really useful, helpful picture of spiritual growth. The more you get rid of, the more baggies you get rid of, the more sin that weighs you down you can cast off, 
the higher you are able to go spiritually in this life. So if we're going to approach the Lord, then the first thing we need to do is also get rid of our idols, get rid of those things that weigh us down. And that's a very useful template that's first revealed here in Genesis for us. So let's continue and pick up the story again in verse 5, where it says, Then they set out, and the terror of God fell on all the towns all around them, so that no one pursued them. Now this is an interesting little observation, isn't it? If you remember, just a couple of verses back in verse 3, we saw Jacob saying, I'm going to go to Bethel, where I'm going to build an altar, and I'm doing that because God answered me in the day of my distress. And that, that God, that same God, has been with me wherever I have gone these last 20, 30 years. So in the midst of this, in the midst of all of Jacob's slip-ups, let me tell you, that's probably too kind a word for it. Let's tell it like it is. In the midst of his sins, his serious sins, God is still able to speak to him and he's able to recognize that God is with him. Yes, he's practiced deception. Yes, he's had all kinds of problems and sin in his lives and in his family. And yet God is seen here to have remained faithful to him. And it says in verse 3, he declares that God answered me in the days of my distress. He's been with me all the ways. So even in the midst of his trouble and his wrong living, he cried out to God and God still answered him. Jacob knows that God has been faithful to him, even when he has not been faithful to the Lord. It also points out that the word spread of his exploits and the fear of God fell upon the cities he was traveling near to. Now, this probably is a, a call back to that horrendous chapter, previous chapter 34, where we heard of the exploits of Simeon and Levi and how they slaughtered all the male Shechemites and how the other brothers in this family went in and plundered the city. So it's probably these events that is striking fear in, of the Lord into the hearts of the people in the surrounding regions. And not surprising really, is it? They don't want to mess with Jacob and his entourage in case, well, in case I suppose they're worried they might respond in the same way and do them harm. Well, picking up the text in verse 6, it says, Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar, and he called the place El Bethel, because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. So here we are, back where he was, building the altar, as he's been asked to do. And he names that place where he does that, the city of God. That's what El Bethel means, because God had appeared to him there. And it's, he's reminding and he's revisiting that place where God appeared to him and encouraged him when he first felt compelled to flee the land. He remembers that this is the place where God reminded him, renewed the promises that he'd made to him, or at least reminded them and comforted his heart with them. He had vowed to go back there one day. I don't know if you remember at that point. He said, I'll be back here one day. And now he's returned to the land. And this verse is simply, I suppose, telling us that he's finally, finally gets back there and he builds the altar that God has asked him to. He finally has got back to where he's supposed to be. Verse 8. 
Now Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died and was buried under the oak outside Bethel, so it was named Alan Bakuth. So it's not all brilliant, is it? There are some dark tones here as well. He finally gets there, and one of the first things that happens to him is the sad event of the maid Rebecca dying. Make no mistake about it, it would have been a day of mourning, a sad day for Jacob. This lady would have been what we could have today called a nanny for him. She had no doubt an intense relationship and had a huge part in raising him. So this would definitely have been a sad day in his life. And as a matter of fact, he renames the place, which in Hebrew means the Oak of Weeping. That's where he buries her remains, and that's what he names the place. So this is indeed a sorrowful moment for him. Someone who has known and has cared about him for a long, long time, someone who was what we would today describe as very near and dear to him, has died, and he has to bury her there. Then God appears to Jacob again in verse 9. And it tells us, after Jacob returned from Padanaram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, your name is Jacob, but you shall no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So God reminds him of the name change to Israel, and he then will remind him of his blessings again. Revisits those promises and lists them again. Now let's just listen to all the promises that God is reminding him of. Picking up in verse 11. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come out of you, and kings will be among your descendants. This land I gave to you, I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I give to you, and I will give this land to your descendants after you. So God here wants to underscore the fact that the land is his, his Jacob, and that not just his forefathers, and that great nations are going to come out of him also. Then it says, Then God went up with him at that place where he talked with him, and Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him, and he poured out a drink offering on it, and he also poured out oil on it, and Jacob called the place where God had talked with him Bethel. So what I want to focus on this part of this passage that we're looking at today is two things. In verse 11, God has said, you're going to be a nation. A community of nations are going to come from you. Even kings will come from you. That's a reference, by the way. In verse 12, it says, the land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I give to you also. Now, this is a critical issue in the book of Genesis. If you've been following me along now for several months as we've been going through this book, you've heard me say this before, but I do feel I need to repeat it. The seed plot of the book of Genesis, which will become the seed plot of the Old Testament, and to some degree the seed plot of the whole Bible, is that here is that God appeared to Abraham and said to him, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to give you descendants as numerous as the sand of the seashore and the stars in the heaven. This is the covenant promise. Remember all that. You're going to be multiplied and become great throughout the earth. And it is I, the Lord, the one true God on high, that I'm going to give all of this to you. It's called the Abrahamic covenant. 
and it's embedded in the idea that God would not only give it to Abraham, that's who it was first revealed to, to, but it's in perpetuity. It would then carry on to his son Isaac, and then here to his son Jacob, and then the, the son, the promise would be completed. It would run throughout the generations and be completed on behalf of the whole world through the coming Messiah, the, who is, of course, the future seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So this here is a reinstatement of the Abrahamic covenant and at the core of it is the fact that God gives to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob this land, the land of Israel. And the promise is that they're going to become a great nation, but only great in the sense because ultimately the Messiah for the whole world is going to come out of them. And that is, of course, what is exactly what did in fact happen, what will happen, and what did happen. So that's the end of just part one of what I've called of this travelogue in the life of Jacob. We shall look at part two of his journeying to these various locations in the next episode. Okay, great. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm so encouraged that so many people particularly are listening to this broadcast. It's really a great way to have an intimate relationship with the, the Word of God. If you're really enjoying have the rhythm of the Bible in your life every day, then why not share it with others? You know, like or share or uh, through social media. And of course, by clicking on the subscribe button, it will ensure that you get this podcast every day just dropping into your Dropbox and you won't miss one. And if you're really valuing it and appreciating and would like to partner and support me in my ministry, and this is my main ministry, and enable this teaching to not only be on the internet for free, but re remain free, then why not consider becoming a patron or by visiting me on my Patreon website. There's a link through there in the episode notes. It's also a place where I put some exclusive material, stuff uh, separate to this, doesn't fit in the podcast but maybe teaching I've done some teaching I've done in churches or even in secular environments but but by partnering with me you're uh, ensuring that the Bible Project podcast it helps offset some of the costs of hosting this on the internet but anyway I hope you're enjoying our time together I'm so thankful for each and every one of you it's so encouraging to me to see that this teaching is growing and spreading, particularly in the audio format, and I'm thankful and appreciative of that. I really couldn't do it without you. Well, if you're here for the first time, well, welcome. Welcome on the journey. And I do hope you'll join with us back again. It'll be tomorrow for me, but whatever is the next day for you. But thank you for being here with me on the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.